Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship's Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor Teacher Paul Francisco. Join us as we are appointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's Holy Word. In 2005, I found myself in the desert of Iraq and I spent many hours in a watchtower overseeing the security of our own area on guard shift. It became a place in which I had much time to think and meditate on God's word and, and, and pray. Uh, it was, became much like a prayer closet for me. In one particular moment in time, I had been going through a great trial of turmoil over a period of two weeks. During this time, I had been shot at. My newly beloved bride was under a great distress with my absence. My 19-year-old cousin was killed, killed by a drunk driver. My sister, who wasn't supposed to have children because of the risk of death, by God's grace, she was pregnant on bed rest. My baby sister had 15 cysts in her breast, and they didn't know if it was cancer. And you see in this war-torn land, Scripture tells us that he reveals himself within the visible things of his creation in Romans. I remember spending this time on guard shift, probably about 55 feet up in the air, in this guard tower full of ammo, and uh, the sun, it was probably about 5 in the morning, the sun's rays began to crest the earth's surface, and I felt the warmth of God's love touching my skin, and I remembered is I had been memorizing and praying scripture, Psalms 91, when he says, under your wings I shall take refuge. And it was like the softness of feathers, of love wrapped around me. And God met me in this dark moment. And I remember all of a sudden a little bird landed on my machine gun barrel and started chirping. And I just started to see in that moment God's grace of healing, love, and him speaking to my heart of saying, I love you. I love you. You're not alone. And you see, beloved, although we may not understand our current suffering, in God's providence, our momentary afflictions are being worked together for good and his glory. And we must hold on to the joy of his salvation amidst our trials. So as we turn to our text back here in Esther, in our last scene of this text, Mordecai reacted to the news of Haman becoming the second in charge of the Persian kingdom. Through his refusal to bow down to Haman and to help and with the help of some troublemakers who wanted to stir things up, Haman became aware of this and he became filled with fury and hate towards 
Mordecai. So he decides that if he can't demand honor, then he will make retribution for it. And he would bring about vindication to annihilate all the Jews in the kingdom. After Haman's plan is put into motion through the manipulation of the king, an edict goes out, a letter goes out, and what this letter read is the genocide of all Jewish people. So what I want you to see this morning from this text, beloved, is two things. Through the risk of response, what we're going to see in verses 1 through 5 is the reaction to the fate of the Jews. Secondly, we will see for through verses 6 through 7 the request and dilemma of a response. Let us turn to the Lord again just one more time and just ask the Holy Spirit to come and empower His Word for us this morning. Father God, I am no match for Your Word. But yet, use this vessel to proclaim truth so that Your people would see how You take the ordinary, the dull, the insignificant of this world to do extraordinary things for your glory and our joy through all the ordinary means of this world. Lord, you are sovereign over all things. This morning, help us illuminate our minds with the truth of this text this morning. Help us to see the implications. Help us to see how we are looking into the mirror of your word. And it is us that you are speaking to this morning. And we pray these things in the precious and holy name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So to recap, I want to read to you um, from back in chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. And you can look in your Bibles if you want. I'll read that. And, and, and it says, The king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, so January 13th, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Asuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children. In one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, so that's December 13th, which is the month of Ador, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by the order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And then King Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Imagine this just happened. Your death certificate was signed. Nowhere, no matter where you went, you would be found out 
all around you. Those would be called to be unready to take your life, not just your life, but your, your spouse, your children, slaughter you all, and then afterwards go ahead and plunder your goods. And this great king that you serve under his rule and his kingdom at this time was so easy to give Haman this power. And then nonchalantly decides to sit down and drink after this has been delivered. And then this next scene, we see one of great lament. Mordecai is devastated. Why? You might ask. He hears one of the most heinous decrees in history. Haman wanted those he was targeting to know that there would be no place to hide in Asuerus' kingdom because even those living in the most remote areas would receive the decree. Wherever the Jews would go, all would know. Having convinced the king, Haman no longer had to veil exactly what he wants done, to whom he wants it done, and when he wants it done. It is perfectly mapped out. His death sentence of genocide is marked for everyone to read, to see very clearly. And look at the text this morning in verse 1. It says, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out in the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. Mordecai is tormented by the death sentence of God's chosen people. And he tears, he tears his clothes and puts on sackcloth and ashes. And whenever you see this in the Bible, beloved, is the ultimate emotion of lament. Much like mourning the tragic loss of a loved one. And then he walks to the entrance to the king's gate so all would know and the great lament spread throughout the kingdom. Look with me in verse 2 and 3. It says, He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was a great mourning among the Jews. With fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. So, Christian, we have this scene of misery, screams of terror, and a cesspool of agony. Lives were on the line, and the king was complicit rather than confrontational. Apparently, investigation might have led to perhaps some indigestion for him. So he was content with making decisions about life without hearing all the facts. Beloved, I pray that none of us would be so callous when eternal souls hang in the balance. His lack of regard for human life is saddening, but not surprising. Rather than listen to the whole story or investigate matters further, he was okay with the general complaints concerning his law and the gain of silver. I want you to think about this. This is much like Planned Parenthood and the doctors who are part of it today. 
a money-making machine without the care for the sanctity of life. Every day in our world, babies are taken off to death. And we, beloved Christians, saints, are called to do something about it. And when we stand before the Lord, we will not be able to pretend we did not know something so horrific such as abortion was happening every day. It should jar us how easily a plan to eliminate an entire ethnicity of people was proposed and proclaimed. Unfortunately, this type of tragedy is not isolated to biblical times. Look at our history. Many accounts of attempted genocide have taken place throughout history. Yeah, we can think of the Holocaust real easily, but, but what about in Rwanda? What about all these things that have been taking place through history? And Satan is assuredly at work in all of them. And in Haman's case, there was something hellish about attempting to annihilate the line in which the Messiah would come. As I mentioned last week, I think it is important to make a point here on the sanctity of life. I believe most in our church or in churches today wouldn't seek to eliminate an entire ethnicity, right? I mean, if we are the chosen, we are Christ, we wouldn't imagine thinking something like that. However, I fear some may harbor thoughts of superiority in their hearts. Before you quickly dismiss this from being you, let me ask you a few probing questions. Do you tend to only hang out with others like you? Are you hospitable and inviting to those outside of your social circle? Perhaps do you pass by on the street and the homeless with judgment in your mind? They can get a job, right? If your daughter wanted to marry a man outside of your ethnicity, would you have a problem with it? Would you consider adopting a child with special needs or of a different ethnicity? You see, in 2018, I was privileged to attend uh, Together for the Gospel Conference, and I listened to a message by David Platt, and he addressed the issue of racism, focusing on relationships between Christians, specifically black and white Christians, but amongst Christians. And he offered six applications for working towards racial reconciliation and he said look at the reality of racism and then he called for the people for christians to live in a true multi-ethnic community in other words to encourage that we invite and love all people from all ethnicities and then he says to listen and learn from one another how much could we avoid in our life not just on the issue of racism but but I mean, with our spouses, our children, our work. I mean, if we just listened and learned from one another. Then he said to love and lay aside preferences for one another. And he said, leverage influence for justice in the present and long for the day when justice will be perfect. And afterwards, he received so much backlash from his message. But beloved, I will tell you this, regardless of all the social media comments, it it didn't make what he said less true. For some, life in this world is cheap. 
But for believers, we should know each person is created in the image and likeness of God, the Imago Deo, and strive to help to work for good of all people. We of all people should be advocates for life. Abortion should, shouldn't have such a stronghold if we were doing something about it. If you are a Christian, pro-life, I hate to tell this, this is not a political thing, pro-life is the only choice that is actually biblical. But if you had an abortion before, just repent. Because you know what? That is not the unforgivable sin. Racism shouldn't exist amongst Christians. And we ought to be the most gracious and inviting of all ethnicities. Beloved, if you're a Christian, there's only one race. That's the human race. We were all created in the image and likeness of God. And He loves you. I'm not talking about politics or what we see out on social media out there. True biblical Christians should be marked by love and unity, not division and separation. Let us love all people with the hope of the gospel and be advocates for life. So Mordecai reacts and responds to the death sentence of God's people. I mean, you want to talk about the ultimate disrespect for life, racism, everything. I mean, they were going to wipe out a whole ethnicity in all the kingdom. I mean, all the kingdom, all the provinces. So he reacts to this. But now he will contend for life by his request. If we see further here, Mordecai and the Jewish exiles living in the kingdom weren't the only reaction. The news reached the queen, and Esther was greatly distressed by it. She wanted to co comfort her elder cousin who loved and cared for her, and she sent clothes, but to her dismay, it failed. Look, look with me in verse 4. It says, when Esther's young woman her, and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed, she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Blessings were in short supply for God's people living under the king's rule. Mordecai's lament could not be comforted. Yet his reaction was multiplied many times over by all the Jews in each province. They also put on sackcloth and ashes and expressing lament. If you were to look at the book of Lamentations, we would be encouraged to deal with suffering by directing our despair, not away from God, but towards Him. You see, Esther's concern for Mordecai caused her to send clothes. Let us, however, not try to cover grief without first determining the cause. Therefore, Esther sent her personal eunuch to go investigate further. Look with me in verse 6. It says, then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend to her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and what, why it was. And Mordecai told him all that happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king and to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. So when Esther's 
eunuch who was specifically put under her, appointed to her, to attend to her like every need. When Hathak came back with the news of Mordecai's lament, I'm sure Esther got a little shell-shocked with, with more than what she had expected. Not only did she find out how bad things were for her and her people, but she is now being asked by Mordecai to do something about it. Pause for a moment here. Ask yourself this question. How do we react when we receive bad news? Do we respond with panic or prayer? See, I find it interesting that Mordecai makes his request to Esther. Not because I don't understand the desperation of the situation, or nor do I fail to recognize that Mordecai realizes Esther is in a position to do something, but because he sees what's unfolding, and he turns to Esther to take action. Let me ask you this question. Is there something you're hoping that someone in our faith family would do because you see a need? How often do we think, we need something to do X, but no one does anything? You know, in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 10 through 12, a father tells his son that if he sees people being carried away to their death or others stumbling toward it, then the son should not look around and hope somebody else does something, but instead intervene. Let me actually read that text for you. You can turn in your Bibles if you want and see it there. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10 through 12. I will read it as I copied it here on my, my paper. It, it, and the Holy Spirit writes these words. It says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it and will he not repay man according to his work you see at this point in the story i find it important to note a few observations about mordecai he tells in in chapter one verse 10 he tells esther to conceal her identity Yet in chapter 3, he reveals his. In chapter 3, he refused to honor Haman and refused to apologize for it. Haman issues an edict in the king's name, verse 12 of chapter 3. However, Mordecai does not try to go to Haman and seek amends. The fact Mordecai was serving at the king's gate meant he was a public official. And yet he makes a request to Esther to do something, knowing that anyone who approached a swears risks death, as we find out in verse 11. Do you just see a little bit of irony going on here? Yet the Lord in his providence is at work here. You see, this is a tale about us, beloved. Two ordinary people who happen to be God's chosen who continually do things through ordinary means. Yet God will use them to 
do extraordinary things for his glory and the preservation of his people. I do think there's a lesson to learn here. I think this serves as a warning to us. First of all, that our actions and our sins not only can affect our lives, but also those closest to us. Our families can suffer from our choices, from our sins, from our actions. See, Mordecai's refusal brings about the fate of all the Jews. His refusal to honor a man wasn't just to his detriment, was to the detriment of all Jews in exile. And now his request is putting Esther's life in jeopardy. That's another lesson we can take from this, I think. If we uh, have a burden about something, that you see that the Lord like, is a good thing the Lord's put on your heart uh, about doing something, whether it's in the church or outside the church, but, but as a Christian, perhaps God is the one telling you to do it. I mean, I don't know how many times in the church throughout my years of serving in different churches, you know, it seems like a lot of members have a lot of ideas of what we should be doing, but then when... And you say, well, how would you get that started? It usually stops right there. Right? I mean, everybody else should be doing this, but not me. Turning back to the text here, I think Esther finds herself in a, a dilemma with this bad news. If she decides to do as Mordecai requests, then it could cost her life. But if she doesn't respond to the fate of, of her people then they will certainly perish. And perhaps that will be her fate if she, if she is found out. So Esther responds by sending a message back to Mordecai, making sure that he knew exactly what he was asking her, just in case he might not be thinking clearly, right? So in verse 10, look with me in the text. It says, Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded them to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants... And the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. Like Mordecai, we should encourage others to leverage their positions of influence for the sake of the kingdom. Mordecai wanted Esther to intercede on behalf of all the Jews. The time for secrets was over. Through Hathak, Mordecai encouraged Esther to leverage her influence with Aswaris, and passivity was not an option. Esther, however, wavered at her cousin's prompting. And you can just hear it now. Uh, Houston, we have a problem in her response, right? Uh, even though Esther was queen her position still came with restrictions from the king. If she broke protocol, the penalty was clear. Death, right? Furthermore, she informs Mordecai that he has, that it has been a month since she had last been summoned by the king. So <clears throat> Esther's people were given a death sentence, yet instead of jumping at the opportunity, she hesitates. Not certain she wants to risk her own 
life, right? But before casting stones at her lack of courage, we must at least recognize our own deficit here. Don't we often hesitate at seizing the opportunities the Lord entrusts to us, right? You might even be contemplating a particular situation right now going on in your life that the Lord has spoken to you to be a part of, to serve in, to do something. Let us consider Esther's hesitancy here. She was obviously concerned the king would not grant her an audience. After all, when Vashti disobeyed his command, we all know what, how that situation turned out, right? Her obedience was not immediate and, and courageous, much like ourselves. Esther may have seen the difficulties. Rather than anticipating what God could and would do, perhaps since she hadn't been summoned by the king in 30 days, she may not have been the right person at this time. She perhaps thought that. Maybe this is how we list out all the reasons not to follow the Lord's calling in our lives. I can't let my child go into the mission field because it's too dangerous. I can't give more help to others because I just don't make enough money. I don't have the gifting of an evangelist to share the gospel. I'm just so busy. I don't have the time. We tend to set our gaze on our deficiencies and disqualifications rather than the Lord's sufficient grace and empowerment. Know this hard truth, beloved. If you are delaying obedience out of fear, it's still disobedience. If you are delaying obedience out of fear, it is still disobedience. Even though Esther and Mordecai may have been lamenting over this edict or had fear of entering into King Aswaris' presence, God was not. God never paces around in heaven hoping things will work out. This letter did not escape the foreknowledge of the Lord. But in His foreknowledge, He was making a way of provision to glorify Himself and demonstrate His merciful and great care for His people. These events in Persia wasn't God's first rodeo for coming through trouble. Do you remember what he told Abraham in Genesis about having a child? Or do you remember when Isaac was being placed on the wood by his father with a knife to take his life to sacrifice him to the Lord? What happened there? What about Jacob's Dilemma with Esau. Or Joseph being sold into slavery. Or Moses' lack of speech to speak out against Pharaoh. Or David's fleeing from Saul. Perhaps the Son of God being hung on a cross. Our Lord said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. 
You see, the human heroes of this story couldn't see God's plan. A plan of salvation and preservation for his people. Esther and Mordecai were starting to see providence a little bit more. But it may have felt more like the blind man being healed by Jesus initially. Not clearly seen, but they will eventually gain clarity. May I ask you this question? When God rewards us in heaven for faithful service, will you miss out on rewards because you were fearful rather than faithful? You see, saints, since Christ is our great high priest, let us draw near in full confidence. Left to our own resources with regard to holiness, we would be imitating Mordecai with great lament. You see, Esther tried to cover Mordecai and failed. But Christ, Christ has succeeded in clothing us with his righteousness. He did so by being the one who knew no sin, becoming sin for us. Esther was being called on to intercede on behalf of her people. Let me tell you this amazing truth, brothers and sisters in Christ. Right now, at this very moment, your Lord, your Savior, Jesus Christ, is interceding on your behalf at the right hand of the Father. When we are in great times of trouble or trials of life, let us not fear. Let us trust our Savior, Jesus. The only risk of response we need to fear is the risk of not responding to Christ today. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. You can, Christian, trust that God is working everything together for your good. Even Though we don't know God's full plan or how specific situations will turn out, we can trust God fully. What can help us trust Christ in our times of great tribulation? Know His sovereignty is working everything for His glory and your joy. Friends, you see, God's plan is perfect and it is leading to a great rescue. You can't save yourself from life circumstances. You can't rely on your own strength and courage to carry through life. Living for yourself or fighting for your own salvation will only leave you empty and unsatisfied, disappointed. Friends, you can come to the trustworthy King who will rescue you. He will rescue you by His blood. And in closing, I want to read from you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, where the Apostle Paul pens these words inspired by the Spirit. And he says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what was written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. 
knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus was raised us also with Jesus and brings us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this, light, 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 momentary affliction is preparing for us even an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. If your son's sick, it is not wasted. If you are going through trials in life, it's not wasted. It's preparing you for eternal weights of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and the truth that we have, knowing that you have spoken to us down through all the ages. You've had a plan, a redeeming plan to take rebels to take the trash of this world and clean it up and to love us, reach down into the pit and the depths of where we were at and bring us out with the love of Jesus Christ. You loved us so much, you spread your arms on the cross for us. Lord, we did not choose you, but you chose us. All we do is, all we have is Christ. Help us lift life on purpose. Help us to be a people who out of obedience because the overflow of your love for us would live life on purpose for your glory and our joy. May we be a people marked by love and unity. May we as Grace Bible Fellowship be salt and light across the seas and across the table for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday at 9 a.m. for Connections and at 10.30 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the Baptist Student Ministry at 101 East University near UTEP. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org. We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ.